You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. Today, I'm excited to be joined by John Briggs, who is the owner of Inside Tax and is on a quest to protect unfairly treated taxpayers from massively overspending on taxes. His model and strategies that he's taught for over a decade have given the practical steps to reach people's financial goals much quicker. Inside Tax saves people from the inevitable burnout they will reach without having a consistent strategy of wealth creation and provides them the steps to attain true cash flow so they can enjoy a bigger bank account, their life can thrive, and still have the freedom to focus on their passions. Welcome, John. Thank you for joining us today. You have experience with many clients and, of course, a large focus in gyms. Can you start us off with a bit of background? What got you started? Yeah, um, I mean, if we were going back far enough, I I had a really great mentor in my life when I was in college and I asked him, I said, look, you've gotten to know me, what do you think I should go into? And he suggested I either go into like law or something with business. And it just so happens both of those tracks at uh, my university required me to take an entry level accounting class. And so that first semester I tried to be efficient as possible and it was the first time a subject for me really clicked. Awesome. Uh, everything else kind of, I've had to work pretty hard at to understand and be successful with, but accounting, it just, my mind wanted it, I guess. And uh, so I enjoyed it a lot. And then that, obviously there's a lot of things that happened between realizing I, I enjoyed accounting to having a, a firm. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you one of the things that got me as far as the background goes, I worked at a big four accounting firm um, and I didn't like the way that everything was structured. Uh, as a entry level accountant, I was going to be rewarded and bonused and compensated all those things promoted based on my billable hours, mm. but I didn't control my workflow. Right. Well, there was like two or three people in the office to control the workflow. So if I had a bunch of things on my desk that they've assigned to me, I could work efficiently and bill the client an, a, like an effective rate. If I only had one or two things, the natural tendency was, you know, I don't want to be punished for being more efficient than the guy next to me. Right. So you take longer. Yes. Right. And guess who eats that inefficiency? The client. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I hated that model. That kind of led me to a philosophy that we try to implement here at our firm. And then um, when, as far as the gyms go, I, I read a really interesting book uh, by Mike McCallowitz called The Pumpkin Plan. Oh, yeah. And he, 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 he's a great guy. I've actually got to know Mike really well over the years. And um, he, he takes the analogy of these farmers who grow prize-winning pumpkins like the thousand pound pumpkins. It's like, what are they doing to grow such a large pumpkin? And he takes that analogy and compares it to how businesses need to find a niche in the way they grow. And so one of the great things about Mike is that in all of his books, he provides practical application tools that anyone can do on their own. And so I went through some of those exercises and I realized 
we had a decent amount of gym clients at the time and we enjoyed working with them and they didn't like balk about our pricing. So from there, we kind of focused like, you know, let's, let's do our marketing approach towards gyms. Um, We certainly, they still only represent probably about 20% of our overall business, but marketing wise, uh, we do a lot of marketing messages specifically to gym owners. And, And at this point, at least in the U S I'm not aware of any other accounting firm that has more gym clients than we do. Um, and so the niching down worked and it, and we didn't necessarily, I know like the big fear when you niche is like, Oh man. Uh, but I don't want to say no to all this other business. You don't have to say no to it. You're just really being more effective in your marketing approach. But anyway, so that's a little bit of the background sense. for me. Yeah, absolutely. And you probably contribute significant value for those gyms as a result because you know the industry really well. And it's a win-win. It's value on both sides. And as you say, you don't need to say no to other clients because if it's a win-win in, in another industry or a different kind of business, as accountants, we can do these things. So can you tell us a little bit about Insight Tax? What do you do for your clients? Yeah, we uh, do anything from your tax compliance stuff, uh, which for us is kind of basic run-of-the-mill. We, um, we, we want to have a better relationship with our clients and a transactional uh, type of relationship. And right. so tax consulting, um, CFO services, where we're meeting with clients and going over their numbers. We do a, a cash flow management system called Profit First uh, and, and then bookkeeping. And we help with some minor payroll things as well. Oh, that's fantastic. So now there's there's often a trend with the smaller companies. You notice that these business people very easily get burnt out. What is the secret to avoiding burnout in a company? Yeah, you know, if I've done this a lot. So if you peel back the onion on where burnt out comes from, my, my study has taken me to see it happens when the owner finally has this realization that they've put in like an effort to run a marathon and they don't even realize it. And then they stop and look back and I say like, oh my gosh, I just did this giant race and I have nothing to show for it. Aww. And so like the way that looks like for a small business owner is that they hustle and grind and are probably putting in more than 40 hours a week. And they struggle the entire time with putting food on the table, living paycheck to paycheck, stressing out about how they're going to pay their team, when rent is due. And then something happens Um, And and it usually is down the road, three, four, or five. Some people, gym owners, for example, have crazy high thresholds for pain. And so sometimes they last a little bit longer. But when that realization happens, burnout happens real fast. Because then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, it's human nature to be like, why am I putting forth an effort in something that doesn't return something to me? It's a natural tendency that we... We all need something back. Like there has to be energy exchange and value exchange in what we do. And so in that case, they're not getting a value exchange because they're putting in all this effort with nothing coming back. And so to avoid that scenario, we look at implementing this cash flow management system with clients because it allows them to change the focus of how they're managing their cash from pretty much hope and pray 
mm-hmm. which, is, which is not a great business strategy. No, it never is, <laughs> unless you have very deep pockets right. or, or love pain. <laughs> right. To a like conscious effort to making sure you pay yourself what your at a minimum your market rate is, so you can not deal with the stress of feeling like I have nothing to show for it. Um, but in addition, you have you set aside cash into various buckets, um, and we can go into as much detail as you want about it. I love the system, but the bottom line is you become very conscious and almost spend the money on paper first before you get to the scenario of looking at your bank account and the cash balance to make the decision on if you should spend the money or not, which is also not a great strategy. Um, So making sure the owners pay themselves something consistently is usually the easiest way to avoid burnout. Makes sense. So do you find that for some of the business people, it's getting, because they do it on paper initially, it gets them over a bit of a psychological hurdle. They've kind of seen it before, almost like preparing a budget where you have a bit of a roadmap and and you kind of plan for the potential what may happen. But to a certain extent, it's putting it in the subconscious that you've seen that that bottom line number is not going to be that big or it's going to be enormous and you know what to expect. Do you think that's some of it? It's absolutely a lot of it, actually. Um they can see it on paper, but so one of the things that you're talking about, there's an actual law that uh, sign like a psychological law called Parkinson's law. Mm-hmm. Um, and the law states that the demand for something expands to match the supply available. Okay. So the way we look at this is we say um, for business owners, if you have one bank account, you usually are think subconsciously we think about that bank account as one giant pile of supply. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Our demand to spend that cash is going to continue to increase until we no longer have any money to spend. What? And we're not going to say, hey, you know what? We're going to reverse, you know, 2,000 years of human behavior. Um, we're going to say, okay, we're going to accept that exists. So what we need to do is create a false reality that we actually have less money to spend than we really do. And that's where spending the money on paper first, we rec- we actually in the system recommend putting it into separate bank accounts and the bank accounts have specific purposes to them. That way, when you look at the money left over in your operating expense account, go ahead. Like the psychology is going to be there. You're going to spend that money because it's there available, but you have already set aside some of the other important things in other buckets so you don't see it as money that you're going to spend on operating the business. Makes a lot of sense. So how early in the process do you recommend or advise your clients to, to put in a cash management system? Yeah, the answer is always yesterday. <laughs> I like that answer myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whether they're just starting off their startup like that's a great time. Uh, if they've been in business for 10, 20 years, it's also a great it's time. It's a good time. Um, mm. Just because I mean, we're talking about human behavior that is just so ingrained in who we are. Uh, we need these types of boundaries that the system allows us to put around the cash so that we can kind of protect this human behavior element of spending the money that's available to spend. Nice. Um 
And it obviously, it looks a little bit different if I'm a startup on how I am spending the money on paper first compared to if I have a lot of history of uh, expenses and things like that for a seasoned business. But that's what we teach is the guidelines. And then when clients come to us, we help specify the guidelines to fit their exact scenario situation and and massage and adjust if if they need to as they go through the process so that makes yeah. an awful lot of sense now you also work quite a lot in tax you mentioned so now there are all kinds of myths and beliefs and practices in entrepreneurial businesses how does one overcome those myths to get to reality? So I will say, um, I definitely, the IRS, United States taxes is what I'm versed in. Um, I'm imagining most governments are like this, but um, I can't speak to a lot of experience with those scenarios. But one of the biggest myths we come across with our clients is that when I get an, a letter from the IRS, uh, that it's correct. It's not correct. I mean, we have found usually 80 to 90% of the time, the letter is not correct. Um, and it just takes someone knowing that and sending a response back. Uh, as inefficient as they are and as incompetent as they are, when you do show them how they're wrong, they eventually get to the end result, which is uh, fixing the issue so that done in the right way. Very um, interesting. That's the, that's the 80 biggest to one. 90%. That's a big number. <laughs> it's a huge number. And I, I, I don't know. I don't really love the way the government, at least the U.S. government, spends taxpayer dollars. I'm sure a lot of citizens feel that same way about their country's government. Um, and so we just have this natural connection. They're like, oh, it's the government. It must be correct. Right. Um, I swear there's sometimes the IRS sends out letters just to see if people will pay it. Mm-hmm. Like there's like, you know, we need to generate some revenue. Let's send off a letter saying everyone owes us 20 bucks. See how many people give us the 20 bucks. Very interesting <laughs> concept. Cause I must admit the IRS has that, that image and reputation of being someone to be feared. And if they say jump, you ask how high. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there's a there's a level of fear that we should all have when we're approaching them right. because they have been given certain authorities from the government. Yes. Um, but authority doesn't equal competency. And so, you know, the way to overcome that is making sure you have a trusted advisor who you can lean on to help you interpret what the letters are actually saying yes. to even see if they're correct or not. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And just just be able to actually understand what that letter is even asking for in the first place. And how do you research it? What do you supply? What what are they entitled to ask for that that you should be able to give back to them? Or at what point do you actually pay the bill or argue? Right. (laughs) Yeah, I would expect you contribute quite some significant value to your clients in in some of those areas. Now, you wrote a book, Profit First for Microgyms. What made you decide to write a book like that? Yeah, so um, the original book, Profit First, was written by Mike Michalowicz. I actually, so I read Pumpkin Plan, and in his Pumpkin Plan book, he briefly mentions this cash flow management system he has. And so I looked up, like, what other books has he written? And then I read Profit First. And I remember thinking as I was reading through, I'm like, 
I should reach out to this guy. Like I need to imply, I need to apply this to all my clients and, you know, and and of course he had already thought of that. Uh, So he already had an organization. So I joined profit first professionals. And then over the years, he, this would have been three or four years ago uh, in a group of mastery level profit first professionals, which I'm in. He said, hey, you know, we have been beta testing a few things. And so we're now opening it up that if you feel like the audience that you serve needs a more specific profit first instruction than what the generic book has, we're going to allow you to license it. And um, right. And so at that point, I'm like, of course, I have to do this, because every time we sat down and met with the gym owner, we were definitely tweaking the original system to fit their needs. Um, and so, uh, it just felt like in order to serve the gyms better, like now I have, like, they can read this book instead of the original one. And it has examples specific to gym owners, like it has all the data is based on gym clients where Mike's book is, um, a lot of different industries that he goes over. And so for, for us, since we have so many gym clients, um, and our goal is to continue to serve the gym audience. And like, it just makes sense for us to do this. Absolutely. And contribute, no doubt, significant value to both existing gym clients as well as potential prospects out there that perhaps, you know, one always gets a lot of entrepreneurs that like to do it themselves. And yeah, this will okay. just, you know, for, for those who, who don't come your way, at least they can learn a little bit more and potentially make the, the companies more successful. Because, I mean, from my perspective, one of the worst things that can happen is we have companies going insolvent. And right. unfortunately, it just happens too frequently or that people get, as you mentioned earlier, so burnt out that they give up, even if they yeah. are making making. Well, on that note, too, like... Um, the gym industry was hit really hard with COVID. Not not as bad as restaurants, um, but every government that I'm aware of at some point during the COVID stuff uh, demanded and forced that gyms had to be closed. Right. Um, so it's really hard if you have a membership, a gym service where people have to come to you, really hard to earn revenue if the government says you can't be open. Yeah. Um, and so what we found though, is that our clients who had run the profit first system prior to COVID, they were able to stay in business during this period of like, I'm not saying it wasn't stressful for them, No. but, but because of the way they had managed their cash previously, they had a bit of a runway of cash that they could use to get them through the time period where the revenue decreased a lot. Um, but those who didn't, there was definitely a lot of gyms who had to close their doors. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's th- that's such a perfect example of why following the profit first methodology for smaller companies is valuable because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And in our case, who would have predicted that we would have the world shut for close on wow. two years now? It's pretty amazing. So what did COVID do to your business or your clients generally? Was there an enormous impact or did you find it quite varied or beneficial in some areas? I think it, it varied, especially based on the industry. I mean, we we had about 
probably 10 client gym clients who closed uh, anywhere from a month after, you know, the initial shutdown to six months after um, others, you know, they had a dip in revenue and they were able to recover. Like, so our gym clients, mm. a lot of them follow some really great business mentors, um, which we don't do that service, but those gym mentors help these gym owners like create an online service. Awesome. Uh, so they could at least supplement some revenue. Something. Yeah. yeah some, anything. Right. Um, but in general for us, like, of course we took a little bit of a dip, um, when it initially happened because everyone wanted to stop spending money. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when the government enforces certain deadlines and behavior, like filing your tax returns, boy, they eventually had to do that anyways. And so um, we still had growth uh, even in the first COVID year. And we, we've grown every year, actually, nice. since we've been in business. Absolutely. So are your clients mainly local or do you work virtually or yeah, how virtually, they spread? Um, we work all across the United States. Um, obviously, we do tax for the U.S. We have a few international clients where we do bookkeeping and profit first consulting, profit first, right. um, but not tax stuff. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, tax is inclined to be a, a bit of a local nuance. And also sometimes it's in some countries, it's relationship. Uh, yeah. If you actually know your local taxing authorities, it's a bit easier to get through the telephone system and talk to a human being rather than leave voice messages. And yeah, some of the countries I've worked in, you get an awful lot of voice messages and nonsense information if you if you don't know who to speak with. So through all of this experience, um, you must have hit significant challenges, both in growing your own business as well as really advising clients. Have you had um, particular techniques or secrets to assist in unlocking the growth where they've hit challenges, be they psychological or real? Yeah, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is actually, I've actually seen a few of these memes um, come across my feed recently, but it's like, imagine an image of one person and there's 10 blocks and each block has the word fail on top of it, right? So 10 blocks of fail. One image shows a guy with 10 blocks over his head. The image next to it shows the guy and he uses the first fail as a stepping stone and the second one's a stepping stone. So it looks like ladders, right? Because successful people use their failures to grow um, and unsuccessful people use their failures to stop. And uh, ultimately, the challenge is because everyone's unique. uh, It might not be unique if you think about, oh, all businesses go through this, but I promise the person who's going through it feels like it's unique to them. Yes. And and we don't want to minimize that. And so our challenges are unique to us, but we have to fight through it. And sometimes we make the wrong decision. So we just pick ourselves back up and keep going. We can't let it hamper what we do. And we can't let ourselves get so fearful of making mistakes that we stop making decisions or innovating. Um, And so, again, our challenges have been across the board, right? Like if if we're providing a bad service, how do we fix that for our clients? Mm -hmm. Um, If we have a team member who's adding unnecessary drama to the company, like how do we fix that, right? Yeah. So, so um, true. as your business grows, like that's a, that's a good challenge to have, but it's still a challenge. It's a challenge. I mean, I had a client 
this guy, he was so confident in his growth strategy that he went out and hired like 30 new employees in one month. Oh, wow. To, to build capacity for what he was doing. <clears throat> he went bankrupt. They closed the business in three months after that. I'm not surprised because a dramatic change like that brings an awful lot of challenges, unfortunately. And it's not only the extra headcount and onboarding them, they, or the cash flow, in fact. Yeah. There, there are a lot of challenges in there. So have you noticed that there are any particular characteristics that make certain entrepreneurs successful where others really do actually struggle? They, they're just perpetually struggle or give up? Hmm, that's a great question. I, you know, confidence is really important, um, but acknowledging that we don't have to be 100% confident, like, especially as an entrepreneur, we have to think about it. This is the way I think about it. As the business owner in a growing company, we are the most incompetent person in our business. Mm -hmm. Right? So like, oh, I had, I had a million dollar company last year. Cool. I know how to do that now. Oh, now we're a $2 million company. I've never done that before. I don't know how to do that. Right. So every step of the way, there's new things. It's like, I've never done that before where your team, you know, like in our, if I have a team member who prepares taxes, whether we're 5 million or $10 million company, he's preparing taxes, right? He becomes very competent and efficient in what he's doing. Yes. So accepting that there is that element of us being incompetent and then figuring out what do you need to do to minimize that. I've always been a big fan. So I think one of them, I would say now backtracking into the answer to the actual question, um, a willingness to hire mentors who you feel like know better than you in the areas that you are lacking. Makes sense. Right. Yes. So like, um, I'm part of a mentor group, uh, a high-level mastermind with businesses that are million and multi-million dollar companies. And the person in charge of the organization has a uh, 10 million plus business, a million rep, and, and she keeps growing every single year. So she's always a step ahead of us as we're growing. What, and so that's awesome, right? Because now mm -hmm. oh, I know that she was a $5 million company at one point. And here's the things that she did at that point. I've had other mentors where, you know, we start off, I'm like, hey, I'm really struggling with marketing. Like, in fact, at the very, very beginning of my business, I knew nothing about marketing. Yeah, you're an accountant. Right. <laughs> like <me. laughs> so I hired a marketing consultant and I paid him to basically teach, like, teach me what the heck is this marketing thing? I don't even know what it is. Mm -hmm. And we got to the point where, great. You taught us the marketing. We're now level at level of where you're at. And now as we grow and we try new things, we've kind of surpassed what they can help us with. Right. It doesn't mean that person's bad. It doesn't mean I'm not appreciative of what they did for me, but now I'm going to move on to what's the next thing in my business yes. that I need help with. Yeah. And that's okay. I still have a great relationship with that guy. And, you know, but he's not a marketing mentor for us anymore. Yeah. And again, as you say, it's those steps, both steps of success, steps of failure, steps of need in a business, because the best businesses move and change all the time. So all the time. You, you've, it, it, it's, it probably comes down in, 
in part to a willingness to learn and accept the the discomfort of not knowing what you're doing. Yeah, that's a great, well said. Accepting the discomfort, that is hard to do for us. It's hard. It's very, yeah. very hard as an entrepreneur. It's uh, you come uh, uncomfortable all the time, and you know sometimes it's uh, how do I make payroll this Friday? Sometimes it's other issues, right. but um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's a hard one. When you follow the profit first um, methodology, at least there is some kind of comfort there that you've probably kept enough money for the payroll on Friday. Right. <laughs> so you've moved on, so that's pretty awesome. So are there particular trends that you think we're going to be seeing over the kind of maybe three to five year period now? You know, I mean, our world has changed so dramatically, but are there things that you, you're expecting to come? Um, I mean, not to be political, so I don't want to get into that, but I do think inflation is going to be something that happens. Mm-hmm. And as a business, we have to be aware of that meaning if your costs are increasing, if you want to stay viable, you're going to have to increase your costs too, at least to stay even with inflation. Um, Now, I have found a lot of service-based businesses probably undercharge what they should be. Um, But I I just want business owners to realize when in, in an inflationary period, if you don't raise your prices, your take-home pay has effectively decreased, even though nothing has changed in your business. Yeah. Uh, so it's not easy to do, no, but it isn't. Um, it, it's something that we, you potentially need to keep on your radar. I think another thing going on, I mean, the great resignation, as they're calling it, with I think there's so many factors involved with this from those who were close to retirement when COVID happened. And they're like, yeah, I'm done. I don't okay. need to do it. I'm close enough. Uh, I'm just going to peace out, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now when people are hiring, that entire workforce is off the table, right. right? Now you have the newer generation. They have a different way of looking at the world and there's nothing wrong with it. No. Um, but businesses may need to adjust yes. on how they do things. I also think because of shutting down physically and the whole social distancing, distancing things, uh, people have acclimated more to the virtual type of meetings, mm-hmm. which also opens up a lot more ability for companies who probably never thought they could have remote employees yes. to doing that. Now, having an employee in your physical office versus remote, you may need to change some of your policies and procedures the way you work as a business. But I do see that happening a lot more where the good companies are going to be able to hire the you know, five-star A-player employees uh, across the anyway. board, wh- wherever they live. Um, and so we're no longer going to be isolated. So I, I'm okay with that because I think it requires some of these mediocre companies and maybe the bosses who should learn how to be more kind and not yell at people and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's going to force them to step up the game where they're going to have, they're going to end up closing their doors because they won't be able to find uh, anyone willing to work for them. Yes. Yeah, it, it requires an entirely different management skill to be able to manage. I mean, if I think of so many of the old school traditional companies and clients that I've worked with, they manage by presence. 
As long as there's someone in that chair in the office, they must be working rather than by output as to what am I asking that person to do? Have I set them up for success? And are they giving me what I what I need? I don't mind whether they've worked one hour in the day or 12 hours in the day. Well, they could work at midnight if they like, as long as obviously if they're trying to meet with people, that's a different thing. <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, I, you have a point on the boss that likes yelling at people. I had a uh, company that I worked for where that genuinely was the culture. I mean, the CEO would sit in the office on one side of the office and yell at people on the other side of the office. And funny how you can hit the mute button or just close <laughs> the video call if you have someone doing that to you. You don't need to put up with it. It's pretty right. easy. So. Yeah, I think you have a point there that the the changes are, are going to be, they're going to be very interesting. But at the same time, one has to look at it and think, you know, it's probably for the best that we are moving along in this technology age to be looking at things and doing things a different way, which does mean that entrepreneurs have to do things a different way as well. So that's yeah. pretty awesome. So do you have any thoughts in closing, anything that we should perhaps mention that uh, we haven't discussed yet? Uh, the only, the last thing I would say is as entrepreneurs, you have something that a large percentage of the population doesn't. Mm -hmm. And part of that is the courage to even do something on your own that you're taking control over and wanting to create. And so I think the world is better the more successful entrepreneurs are because they obviously have something they're passionate about giving the world. But then as they grow their business, they have the ability to create an environment that people enjoy working in, which is not the case for a lot of people. So I think the world elevates as entrepreneurs become successful. And I just want people to realize that, that they're super needed. And so they need to make the decisions that allow them to stay in business. Mm -hmm. And I know some people don't like it when or they're like, no, you need to take care of your people first and all these things. Like, I promise if you focus on making sure you have enough cash to run the business, because the cash is kind of like the blood pumping through the business, like your blood through your body, um, you need cash to survive. And if you want to grow something, you're going to have to have more left over so that you can actually fund that growth. So have a conscious effort to be profitable. And then all those good things that you want to do, you have a much higher likelihood of success. No, I like that. I mean, that's a, that's a really great concept. And at a certain level, you could look at it as if your business is profitable, you are taking care of your people because their job will continue for a lot longer. And in the fullness of time, you will look after them better and better as you develop their careers and give them what they're looking for as well. I, I love that suggestion. So if people want to get hold of you, how can they contact you? Uh, so our website is insighttax.com and it's spelled like the word with insight a riot because it means to cause to action, but it's commonly used in that phrase. Awesome. So it's I-N-C-I-T-E tax.com. We have a bunch of blogs. Um, I like to be straight to the point and provide as much efficient value as possible. So a lot of our blogs are geared that way. We have a bunch of free resources. So check us out there. 
Awesome. Will do. And I'll link it up in the on the show notes page so that people can give it a little click if they running at the moment or doing something really exciting and listening to our suggestions as we've been chatting. So thanks very much for joining us today. Very valuable suggestions and and advice for entrepreneurs. I hope all of the listeners will take your advice and both look at the blogs and implement some of your profit first suggestions and methodologies. Thanks for having me. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, the 5F strategy, bottom line growth in any economy without additional sales and marketing. And download the financial growth scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.